Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. What a beautiful illustration from a real-life situation. I saw it as a clip on a CBS morning news program. The location was Disneyland in California. The scene was a large, old-fashioned wishing well in a small corner. Around that wishing well was a little girl, probably maybe five years old. Next to her was a young woman dressed in the familiar clothing of Disney's famous Cinderella character. The little girl was looking into the well. The voice over from the announcer set the scene up for us. The five-year-old was asked to wish for the thing she wanted most at that particular moment. So the little girl closed her eyes, put her hands over her eyes, and obviously wished. As she finished and opened her eyes, she heard a name being called by a familiar voice. She looked around and... There was her father, a sergeant in the U.S. Marines who had been away on assignment in Afghanistan for some time. She rushed over, jumped into his arms. You see, according to what we learned afterwards, the little girl had been told by the Cinderella character to wish for the one thing she wanted most. She obviously had wished that her absent dad would come home to be with her. And sure enough, when she opened her eyes and heard his voice calling her name, her wish had been answered immediately, she thought, by the well. Or so it appeared to the extremely happy little girl. But we know life is not so easy nor so responsive to our dreams and our wishes. And there are no wishing wells that grant us our wishes. No, there are not. I'm sure we sometimes wish there were such magical wells. An old country song says we were not promised a rose garden. You know what I'm talking about. As I watched the clip on the television, my heart warmed, and I certainly entered into the emotion of the moment. I could easily understand how thrilled and captivated that little girl was when she heard her dad's voice, and then she caught sight of him around the corner of her eyes. Can't you feel it too? A deep longing fulfilled, solace and comfort for the little girl who had an emptiness in her life because her dad was absent from her. But he had returned as he had promised her before and told her that he would come back one day. She must have gone home that day one thoroughly ecstatic kid. didn't matter that this event had been set up beforehand and the cameras were put into place to capture that moment. I'm sure the child was oblivious to these background details. She wished, and magically it seemed to her, her dad was there. That's all that mattered to her at that moment. The Lord Jesus once told his disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. If I go, I will certainly come again and receive you, so that where I am, there you may be also. He did go, 2,000 years or so. 
His disciples watched as he levitated up from the mountainside where he had been talking to them, further and further up until the clouds hid him from their view. His promise was to return. That is what the angels told the disciples the same day. This same Jesus, they said, no one else. This same Jesus will come again and receive us to be with him in heaven forevermore. Unlike the staged production with that little girl, when our father returns, it will not be smoke and mirrors. It will not be magic. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord will appear in the clouds. We will be translated with him on that day. We call it the rapture. It will be wonderful. We will see our Lord and our joy will exceed that of that little girl in my story. And that will be all that matters to us at that particular moment.
And now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. What a blessing to be able to fellowship with you around the Word of God once again. And this morning, we are going to begin looking into a mysterious and fascinating passage in the Word of God. This is the fifth message in our ongoing exposition of the epistle of Jude, in which Jude exhorts believers to contend or fight for the faith, that is, the Word of God, as delivered once and for all to the people of God he calls the saints. Jude is warning us about false teachers who sneak into local churches to lead gullible believers away from the truth by twisting scriptures to teaching false doctrine that would tickle the fancy of the hearers, but provide no genuine spiritual nutrition or food for the soul. And friends, there are many such teachers around today. But last time, we ended our exposition at verse 4 where Jude begins to give us historical examples of how God dealt with those who corrupt the truth, not only by teaching false doctrine, but also by the way they live. The first was that of the Jewish people themselves in verse 5. But now he also gives the example of the fallen angels in verse 6. Here is how the text reads, and this is the word of God. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. End of quote. So Jude now takes us from earth to heaven, from men to angels, for they too are an example and warning to us not to abandon or corrupt the known word and will of God. He says that these angels, quote, did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. In other words, they rebelled against the authority of God by intruding into a realm that was foreign or off bounds to them. They went beyond what God desired or commanded them to go. They refused to obey his will to stay in an assigned location, to do an assigned job with an assigned authority to complete that job. They overstepped their bounds and the authority, and because of this, God is now keeping them in darkness, bound by eternal bonds, awaiting that great day of final judgment, the day when the devil and all of his angels will be cast into the lake of fire, which is a second death. Jude says their judgment is a guarantee that judgment will be experienced by those who transgress the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, the type or kind of judgment may differ, but the fact of God's certain judgment for disobedience and lack of respect for his word is certain. It remains the same. The point being made is that God judges sin especially willful or high-handed sin, no matter who commits that sin, man or angel. So just because someone says he or she is a preacher and believes the Bible, but yet denies that Bible by the way they live, their profession will not protect them from the judgment of God. My friends, this is a strong statement Jude is making. He is emphasizing the value God places not only upon his word, but also upon our living his word out in our daily life. We most certainly must not lie against the truth. 
and we will lie against the true Judas saying, if we do not live what we preach. But Judas is also saying that we lie against the truth when we do not resist, when we do not oppose, or we do not contend against those who claim to be teachers of God's word, but yet live ungodly and unrighteous lives. This is Jude's concern in his epistle. My friends, it should be us also as believers. Too many times we, as preachers, prepare a message only for others, not ourselves. Jude is preaching to God's people about preachers, godless preachers, what they are by nature and what they do in practice. He wants us to know all we can about them so we can uphold the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. How? By actively and aggressively contending against all such godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now in verse 7, Jude uses the judgment of God upon Sodom and Gomorrah as another illustration of the truth that immorality follows the corruption of truth. Here is what that verse says. Hear the word of God. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. End of quote. Powerful words, my friends. Now, this passage does not only tell us something about the kind of sins the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of, but also of the kind of sins the fallen angels were guilty of as well. Notice the phrase, in a similar way. That means just as, or in the same manner. In other words, the sins of the fallen angels were of similar nature to those of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding towns. Now, what kind of sins were they? The answer is very clear. They were sins of sexual immorality and perversion. That's the word of God. Notice what the text says again. They gave themselves up. This is a willful decision on their part. They gave themselves up to these activities. In other words, they committed and dedicated themselves to this perverse and immoral lifestyle. The King James Version says it in this way, quote, they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, end of quote. Notice, gross immorality. This is an intensified form of the normal Greek word of sexual immorality, porneo, from which we get the English word pornography. Jude uses the word ek porneo, something out of the ordinary. That's why the King James Version translates the phrase gross immorality. It is against the natural order. Now, what type or nature of sin is Jude alluding to here? The next word or term helps to give us an answer. The King James says it this way, they went after strange flesh. That is, flesh of another kind. The NIV, that's the New International Version, translated as perversion. Now, what kind of perversion is this sin? The biblical record given in Genesis chapter 19 is very clear. It is very explicit. It describes the almost frenzied attempt of the male population of Sodom to have sexual relations with two angels who had taken on the form of men. Verse 5 of that chapter says, 
All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. The city was a city of those we now call homosexuals. God calls their activity gross immorality, going after strange flesh. That is, in their case, flesh of the same gender. Their city, Sodom, had become the name for this terrible, unnatural act today, sodomy, or as some call it now, homosexuality. However, lest we get caught up only in the emotional disgust of what is being described here, let us remember at the same time that Jude is saying that the perverseness of the men of Sodom was similar to that of the fallen angels, and that the perversion of both serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In other words, if God judged the immorality of the men of Sodom and the fallen angels because of the corruption of truth by the way they lived, we can also be sure that he will do the same today for those who do the same kind of sin. And in the context, it means disobeying the word of God and distorting the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The message then is aimed specifically at those who deliberately and consciously turn away from the faith once for all delivered to the saints, either in their teaching or by the way they live. Now, it's not my purpose here to deal with all the pros and cons surrounding the identity and nature of the fallen angels and their sin. However, even at the risk of leaving much unsaid and unanswered, I must make some reference to the matter if I am to do justice to this passage at all. Bear in mind now that Jude is reminding his readers of events that they are familiar with, or at least they have already been exposed to. The activity of the Sodomites is recorded in detail in Genesis 19. However, there are at least two dozen references to their sin and God's judgment upon this city given in the Bible. But, is there anywhere in Scripture where the activity of the fallen angels are described? I believe there is, and the only passage that fits this is Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So please listen again now as I read the Word of God. And this is God speaking now. When man began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. End of quote. Now, this is a very mysterious passage, to say the least, with many different interpretations. But let's look at it very briefly. The term sons of God is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to angels. Only once is the Jews of God's people in the Old Testament. It is not until we come to the New Testament that the term sons of God or son of God is used as a common reference to believers, that is, sons of God, used as a common reference to believers who become the children of God by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
if fallen angels are indeed referred to here in Genesis 6 as well as in Jude, then Jude's description of their activity is very precise. Notice what it says. They went after strange flesh, referring to the daughters of men in Genesis 6. God regarded this act as gross immorality and perversion. The offspring of this unnatural union was deformed giants such as Goliath, who was over nine feet tall. We know that at least some of them were deformed by the description that Samuel gives of them in Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 20. Listen again to the word of God. Quote, In still another battle, which took place at Gath, that's where Goliath was born, by the way, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He was also descended from Raphael. Now, some object to this interpretation on the basis of Matthew 22, verse 30, which says, and I quote, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. For some, it is gathered from this statement that Jesus was teaching that angels are sexless and cannot bear children. But my friends, it must be noted that in Matthew, Jesus is referring to angels who are still in heaven. That is, they are not fallen angels. They have kept their first estate. They're not like the fallen angels who did not keep their first estate. Also, it might be too much of an inference to say that this passage teaches that angels are sexless. It simply states that they do not procreate. Everything else is just implications and inference. We have to be careful. However, the point to be made here is that both Jude and Moses are referring to fallen angels, those who have left their first estate. This may refer either to their abode, heaven, or to their nature as angels. And although it is undoubtedly true that angels cannot procreate among themselves, it is also true that angels can take the form of humans as the two who were attacked by the men of Sodom, and of course they can even inhabit human bodies. This is exactly what made their behavior so gross, immoral, and perverse. And not only the behavior itself, but also the grisly results. And that's also the reason God decided to destroy the world and its inhabitants. Peter leaves us no doubt about this. Listen carefully to his words in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. And again, be reminded, this is the word of God. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Do you see this? He's using all of these as examples of the fact that God will judge those who disobey his word or who distort his word or who live contrary to his word. This is the same lesson, I say, and warning that Jude is giving to those who have crept secretly into leadership and teaching roles within the church. And by their godless, immoral lifestyle, in the words of Jude, 
godless men who changed the grace of God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Jude says this is a denial of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And again, I remind you, saints here are believers in Christ. Believers must contend against and fight against such a lifestyle by anyone who professes to be a believer, but especially and in particular, Jude is saying, against those who profess to be ministers of the gospel and misuse the word of God. My friends, this is such an important and relevant issue in our society and elsewhere that I want to continue to deal with this particular aspect of Jude's teaching and emphasis next Lord's Day as well, Lord willing, because our time is gone for this morning. But we will look at some of the startling reasons why God really judged Sodom and Gomorrah and the awful consequences that persistent, unconfessed, deliberate immorality on the part of believers, and in particular, preachers of the gospel, have upon our society. Until next time, then, may God help us to keep ourselves as pure as the gospel we preach and truth we believe as Christians. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen in a moment, he could break the eastern sky. Though our hearts will feel unworthy, yet how happy we will be when the Savior comes from heaven, when His blessed face we see. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay, hold the fort a little longer, in your struggle over sin, trust the great commander's promise, he will surely come again. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound.
ונהרג.